Disappoint. That was good. I tell you what, I think the Lord was pretty pleased with that song right there, boy. What a message that song has, and they did a good job with it. Very good. All right. Well, I don't know. Turn to Romans chapter three, verse twenty. Romans chapter three, verse uh, sixteen. Would you? Romans chapter three, verse sixteen. 
Let's just read a couple verses today. I just want to read these. The Bible says in Romans, uh, John chapter 3, excuse me, did I say, say you Romans? John chapter 3, verse 16. I'll, I'll wait for you since you're way behind. <laughs> John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Just look at these verses. I mean, I, I we've got to look at these verses with that song. I, I just can't. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Well, what a great passage, isn't it? It has nothing to do with my message today at all. But that song just kind of made me think about Christ and what he's done for us. And he did write us a love letter, didn't he? He did give us the very best he had. I think about so many times into a hospital room or possibly just out door knocking or maybe dealing with somebody there or just in a family situation or in the street. And, you know, sometimes we get a little nervous and we're concerned about that and we worry that maybe they'll be embarrassed. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ paid an awful price so that they could hear His truth, so that they could ultimately receive and accept Him. And the Bible tells us that He died on a cross just for them. I wonder when the last time you changed what you were going to say or did because you remembered that He died for you. When's the last time you said, you know, I'm not going to say this to that person because He died for me. I'm not going to go there and do that thing because He died for me. I'm not going to think that thought because He died for me. I wonder sometimes how real the death of Jesus Christ is, the sacrifice of Calvary is in our life. It's so easy sometimes to forget about it, to go about life in our activity our busyness and just do what we do it's so routine it's so mundane it's so scripted often but the reality is is that christ died for us and paid for our sin and the truth is that if we don't accept that reality if we fail to trust and receive him then we are condemned because we're condemned already isn't that amazing there in the passage how it says that i mean it's not like you have to get lost you're already lost it's not like you have to become a sinner. You're already a sinner. It's not like you have to be condemned. You're already condemned. And how important is it that we as believers today recognize our responsibility in sharing that truth with others? How important is that? Man, when it's all said and done, no amount of money in a bank account, no amount of wonderful family and friends will keep a person out of hell. Only Jesus Christ will. Only the sacrifice that was made on that cross. I love, I love that song because of the message it shares. Um, just written in red, you know? That blood that was shed for us. How precious was it? All right, take your Bible now and turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We're going to have to cut our message a little short today, and that'll be all right. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Tonight we'll be back on with our keys to Bible... St- Keys to the Bible 
and uh, we'll be dealing with that portion. Remember, we got through the first six rules of Bible study. We're going to continue with number seven, run right through. I told you I had 15 of them. We'll look at those tonight. We'll try to do our best to get through all of those. I think we will. So we'll be doing that tonight, okay? Keys to the Bible, and we'll be looking at, uh, um, as I said, uh, rules of Bible study, finishing that up. Mark chapter 16, a very familiar passage probably. Uh, You may have heard it said here in this pulpit. Maybe you've heard it other places, but it simply says, And he said unto them, talking about Jesus Christ, his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now again, we're in our, we're in our church series. We're talking about the church on Sunday mornings. And today I want to address this issue of the authority of the local church. The authority of the local church. That's all we're going to discuss. We're not talking about the, the, we're not talking about, you know, uh, the, the uh, authority structure. We're just talking about the authority of the local church. And so as we approach this topic, I'm going to view the early church. We're going to take time to look at the early church. We're going to look at it from three perspectives. First, we're going to look at the church in conception, when it was conceived. We're going to look at the church in construction, and then ultimately the church in completion. Now, if the apostles themselves had been given this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, if they'd been given it themselves individually, if that command was given to them individually, it would have ended with them. It would have just ended with them. But it was really given to the church. That command was given to the church. You say, well, I'm the church. I'm in the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. And it was given to you and given to me as well. And so it wasn't just given to the apostles when Jesus Christ ascended or prior to his ascension. No, it was given to the church. And so we're going to look at this issue. We're going to realize before the end of our sermon here that... The church, and not any one person, has been given the authority to evangelize the world. That the church, not any one person, has been given the authority to evangelize the world. Okay? And so we're going to look at it from this perspective. Let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll continue. Brother, I'm getting a little in my ear now. Again, it may not be out there, but in my ear I'm hearing a little bit of a ring out of the speaker, and that's very frustrating for me. Okay? I feel like I can't speak up at all, or I'll blow everybody's ears away. So help me with that. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. We just ask, dear God, that you'd meet our need today. Again, thank you for these that have gathered. Lord, we just pray that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged. Thank you for your blessed book, the Word of God. And Lord, thank you so much for that shed blood on Calvary. Boy, that that love letter signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for giving your life for us and then rising again. Lord, we are grateful. We thank you and praise you now for what you're going to accomplish in this service as we seek to understand the authority of the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First of all, the church in conception. When did the church begin? We've talked about this just a little bit already, so we're not going to spend much time on it. But when did the church begin? Well, the church as we know it today began with Christ himself, who is the head. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and he, Christ, is the Savior of the body. In Colossians 1.18, and He, talking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the church. He goes on to say, Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So He's the head of the body, which is the church. So although the body was not yet complete or empowered at this point early on, 
it, it was already conceived in the mind of God and it, the, the founder had already set it in motion. So the church had actually begun. Why? Because the head was there or the leader was there. And so therefore, it was alive, okay? It was alive. The body had not yet materialized visibly necessarily, but it was a small little core of believers, but the head was already in place and the church had begun. The church in construction now. We move ahead in our Bibles and we realize from the death of Christ uh, and His glorious, uh, following the death of Christ and His glorious resurrection, He's going to meet with His disciples and He's going to now begin to build upon that foundation which He had laid. And Matthew expresses the mission of the church. He makes it very clear what their, their responsibility is. And again, this wasn't given to just some apostles or just the disciples themselves. It was given, obviously, to a church because it would have died with the apostles. But it didn't. It continues to this day. Over in the book of Matthew, turn there, if you would, please, chapter 28, 19 and 20. You want to know what really the focus or the emphasis of any New Testament church ought to be? You want to know what the, the, the driving force of their programming ought to be? You want to know what the real... The real um, uh, power of the church, uh, where the, 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 the income, where the, the effort, where the energy should be poured into more than any, right there it is. It's found right in the book of Matthew, very clearly expressed for us here in the passage. As he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, in verse 19 and 20, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Foundationally speaking, that's the real role of the church. The church then takes on a number of other aspects as it's defined further on in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians and other places. But every time there's something added or every time there's something involved in the church, it always points back to this foundational, foundational purpose or mission. Everything goes back to this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. What he's saying is, again, win people to Christ, baptize them and include them in the body, this local, local assemblies, and then train them up, teach them to go do likewise. That's as simple as it is. That's the basic foundational truth of the New Testament church. That's the role responsibility that they've been given. It's a very simple plan, but a very demanding job. Win them, baptize them, disciple them. Here the church's purpose and plan is being revealed. After 40 days of meeting with and instructing the disciples, Jesus ascends back to the Father with the promise of one day returning. We remember that over in the book of Acts chapter 1. We'll not take the time to read it. But he said, I'll return as I, I left. Now, it'd be just 10 days later, 10 days after he ascends. So he dies on the cross. He resurrects. 40 days he spends with the disciples. 40 days preparing, prepping, instructing. And then he turns around and he leaves. He goes back or sends back to be with the Father. 10 days later, 50 after his resurrection, 50 Pentecost, meaning 50, 50 days after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit descends out of heaven now. 120 in the upper room are touched by the Holy Ghost. Peter will address the house of Israel. He addresses the house of Israel from the perspective of Jesus as being Lord and Christ. The Jesus that you crucified on Calvary was indeed Messiah. He was God in flesh. He wasn't just a false prophet, as you may have thought. He was more than that. He was God, and He was Messiah. And of course, at that day, that day, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41 says, Then they gladly received His word, 
or should, should I say, then they that gladly received his word, because there were some that did not receive it, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. All of a sudden now the church is empowered with the presence of the Holy Ghost. We see 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And the Bible says they are added to the church. Now, the empowered church would now go and reach out and impact the community and its city for Jesus Christ. That's what would take place. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, we're told that 5,000 men alone were saved as a result of Peter and John's work. Just Peter and John's work. They're out there preaching, proclaiming the truth. 5,000 men alone, that doesn't count women and children, are saved into the family of God and placed into the body of Christ. In spite of all the efforts, the silent, the zealous men of God, the word continued to multiply according to the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, And believers were the more added to the church, excuse me, added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Multitudes of men and women were being added on a regular basis. There was a tremendous moving of the Spirit. The preaching of the Word of God was going forth. People were being saved. What an amazing time in history. The church, again, was multiplying in Jerusalem. It wasn't just adding. It was multiplying. Can I express to you how multiplication works real quickly? Multiplication works like this. Brother, would you stand up, please? I lead this man to Christ. There's one. That's addition. I lead this man to Christ. Would you help me out today, brother? That's addition. I lead this man to Christ. That's addition. Watch multiplication. This one leads him to Christ. That's multiplication now. Now it's not just one person leading people to Christ. There's two people leading people to Christ. He ultimately goes and leads that young man to Christ. We're multiplying. Now it's not just me. And I'm turning around. I'm leading this gentleman to Christ. They're leading men to Christ. It's multiplying. That's how simple it is. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your help. Bob, you did the best of all of them. Thank you. Way to go, brother. All right. So anyway, we've got, we've got, um, we've got multiplication taking place in Jerusalem now. Acts 6-7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. It is estimated that there were 25 to 50,000 members in the church at Jerusalem then. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be something? 25 to 50,000 there. Boom. I mean, they were moving. There were people getting saved by, by, by left and right. The church is being established. And the church is enduring great opposition. Then came persecution. Take your Bible. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Then there comes some tremendous persecution. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the first four verses. Again, everything's going like gangbusters. Now, there's, listen, there's opposition. There's, there's people being put into jail. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks weren't real happy with the fact they were preaching Christ, resurrected. But, but, but they were still, people were getting saved. They were getting saved. The church is being added to. They're multiplying. Notice Acts 8 now, not just opposition, but persecution. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Notice it says here, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout, oh, wait a second. Oh, I'm in Luke. I'm sorry. Now you're waiting on me this time. I'm just so slow. Here we go. Acts chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, who was the martyr in Acts chapter 7. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they, the ones that were scattered abroad, not preachers, by the way, we find later that they remained in Jerusalem. These were the men and women of God who had been saved through the ministry of the local church. These are the they, spoken of in verse 4, went, were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. They are now going everywhere preaching the word. If you recall correctly in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, they're to go into Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Well, the church of Jerusalem wasn't getting too far. Their numbers were growing. They were growing up. They weren't growing out at all. And God says, okay, let me help you to accomplish the mission, the job that I've given you to accomplish. So he sent great persecution. And next thing you know, the people of God are scattered everywhere. And what are they doing? They're preaching amazingly in the very areas that God said they would go to. Judea and Samaria. And so here we find them now fulfilling this portion of Scripture in Acts 1.8 through this great persecution. Souls are being saved. Churches were being established. The church as we know it was reaching maturity. It's under construction. Now let's talk about the church in completion. The Jerusalem church had, found, uh, had been forced to expand. And, and, and of course they expanded because of what? Persecution. Someone says, that persecution's bad stuff. That persecution probably led to your salvation and mine. It's just the reality of it. They were, they were very comfortable where they were. They liked coming to church and hanging out with each other. They didn't mind even witnessing to a neighbor in Jerusalem. I mean, their job was good. Their life was nice. Things were going okay. Oh, a couple of the apostles were getting persecuted, of course. But they just kept picking on Peter and some of the big dogs. I'm okay right now. But they weren't accomplishing what God intended the church to accomplish. This isn't about a person. This is about the church. And so ultimately, he sends that great persecution, which really seemed like a bad thing at the time. But as we look back on history, we recognize now, without it, they'd have never probably fulfilled the great commission that God had given them to accomplish. Thank God they reached the world as a result of persecution. That's something. Maybe America needs persecution. I mean, I really don't like the thought of it myself. I don't like the idea of being hauled off to jail when my wife and family fend for themselves. I don't like the idea of my children being thrown in foster homes while me and my wife being, you know, enemies of the state as Christians are considered to be, you know, are, are held captive and they're just thrown out there. I, I would hate the thought of that. But, you know, again, is it really just about today or is it about eternity? I mean, we, we got to, you know, it's not easy. I'm not talking about easy now. And someone says, that's ridiculous. God would never expect his children to endure that. We did in the book of Acts. And it made the difference for you. You'd be lost today probably if it wasn't for this. And so would I. So he used somebody else. Maybe, but I don't see any evidence of that. I just see what is. Now, what we find here is the church in completion. So here it is, expanding the result of persecution. Sister churches are rising up everywhere now. Um, people are being saved. There's no leadership, though. Remember, the apostles didn't go with them. So there's these people out there preaching the gospel, 
giving the, 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 the message of salvation, the risen Christ. People are trusting the Lord, but there's no pastors. There's these churches, and they're, they're probably getting together. Let me encourage you, brother. Let me show you what I got shown by Peter. Let me show you what John showed me. And they're just passing on what they had been given. And, and there was a, a leadership vacuum now. It's a leadership vacuum. And so we find that Antioch was a church that Jerusalem sent some leadership to. Again, remember, they've gone out into Asia Minor, and now they're spreading out because of persecution. People are being saved. There's a need for leadership. And now we see the church at Jerusalem sending people out to help meet that need. Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now Barnabas gets to Antioch and he sees what's going on, man. He's fired up. He is thrilled to death. What's he do? Barnabas runs on over to Tarsus and he grabs Saul. Saul, of course, would ultimately be called Paul. But he grabs Saul and he says, listen, you've got to come with me. You've got to go to Antioch, man. It's happening there, man. Come on, let's go. And so Saul and Barnabas now are in the church at Antioch. And the Bible tells us that in verse Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it gives us an interesting statement. And when he had found him, talking about Saul, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Saul and Barnabas now are instructing, encouraging, and they're, they're helping the church there at Antioch. Why? Because they needed leadership. Jerusalem had sent them there for a purpose, and now they're fulfilling that purpose in instructing and engaging with those people. Now, notice what it says here. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's the first time they were called Christians is there in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Here they are, Christians now. What's the church, I mean, a New Testament church like ours? There it is now. They're called Christians, just like we are. You, you see the identification now. They've come to maturity. They've come to age, to completion. The church, I'm not saying that it wasn't a church. I'm saying that it was still in building. It's like a boy or a girl. They're still, they're still a person, but they haven't grown into manhood yet. They're growing. They're, 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 they're learning. Well, guess what? The church was like that. In its conception, Christ was the head. It was already there. But then we see it in construction through those years in that transition period. And next thing you know, now here it's come to full maturity. It is doing what it's supposed to do. It's already expanding. It's growing. And it's sending men out of it to ultimately continue to reproduce churches. So we have this church in Antioch. Now it's interesting to note that there's this relationship between Jerusalem and Antioch. Jerusalem was the instrument in founding and grounding that ministry. People from Jerusalem ultimately led folks to Christ. There was a core group of people now there, and leadership is sent out, and that is organized, and that church is growing, and it's strong, and it's vibrant. And look what they're now going to do in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. Turn there, if you would, please. What is this church going to do? Well, they're going to do the exact same thing that Jerusalem did. They're going to do the exact same thing that every New Testament church ought to do. Notice what happens here in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers and Barnabas, excuse me, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menane, which uh, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. 
We know Barnabas. We know Saul. Saul would ultimately be called Paul. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. I want you to note the process or how Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church. First of all, God communicates. In verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord, talking about the leaders of the church, the men of God, the people of God, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. God communicates with the church. Then notice the church confirms that call. In verse 13, the Bible says, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So the church agrees with God. God, God puts it on their heart. This, these men are men of God. God says, I'm calling Barnabas. I'm calling Saul to this work. I've separated them unto a specific work. And the church says, man, we're going to pray and fast over them. And then we're going to send them out. The church confirms God's call in their life. Do you see that? That's important, okay? That's very important to understand. That God calls and the church confirmed. And then notice, the individual consented. Then they go, they leave this church. In verse 3, the Bible says, And when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on they sent them away. Listen, you couldn't get somebody to leave the church unless they were okay with it, right? They consented to go. Sure, I'll go. I'll go to Cyprus. I'll go to that land. I'll go preach the gospel over there. They consented to it. So God called. The church confirmed. They consented. And then you know what the result of that was? Change. The lost were changed. Ultimately, they went everywhere. And man, their ministry is proof that God was all over them. And God blessed them. So, they make their way into Asia Minor. They visit a number of churches. And although they met with opposition, in many cases, there was an equal amount of people, at least, or more, that received them. That accepted what they were teaching. That ultimately did want to hear the Word of God. The influence and the effect of those believers that had scattered abroad in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, had taken its, its uh, course. It had planted seed. It had prepared the soil. It had readied those mines. So those believers went out, rushing away from persecution in Jerusalem. They went all throughout Asia Minor, sharing Christ, His resurrection, the need for Him as Savior. Some people got saved. Some didn't. But boy, the, so, the seed was being planted. It was being sown. It was, it was just cultivating the hearts of men and women. And when Saul shows up, Barnabas shows up, man, bam! People are getting saved. Churches are springing up. Things are happening. Acts chapter 14, look what they do here. That harvest would be so great, the need for leadership so obvious that Paul and Barnabas now do something. Notice what happens in Acts 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium, and Antioch. And they're making their way back. They'd gone out on a missions trip. They'd reached into cities and places and had made an impact and influenced so many. Then they're making their way back to Antioch, who originally they came from. Notice what's happening here. Confirming the souls of the disciples, verse 22, and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. 
Much tribulation, he says, enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 23, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Notice what they're doing now. There's these people being saved. There's this leadership vacuum. They're going back through these churches and they're ordaining pastors in these churches. They're putting people in place to be authority in the church, to help guide the church, to lead the church as an under-shepherd. Who gave them the right to do that? By what authority do they have the right to, to ordain pastors in churches and to begin ministries and works? Someone says, God. That's true, but hold on. God didn't ordain anybody without calling them, and He never sent anybody without the church confirming it. They had the authority of the church at Antioch to do that. They were sent out by Antioch. They had the authority through the church of Antioch to establish new ministries. They were under the authority of that pastor and that church. And they took that authority and went out and accomplished the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission is given to a church, not an individual. And so, the church of Jerusalem sent out men like Barnabas and others to places like Antioch and other churches in Asia Minor. They then established those people. They encouraged those people. They may have pastored those people. And then they turn around and send others out to do the same thing from their church. But there's always the authority of the local church. God calls, the church confirms, and the person consents. And then people are changed. It's always the same. Now, because of time, I'm just going to move right to some things real quick. Today, if we're not careful, we live in a culture and a society where no one wants to be under the authority of anyone. Everybody wants to be their own boss. You're not the boss of me. You know, you hear little kids say that. You're not the boss of me. You know, out in the halls. I've heard children that have told adults in church, don't tell me what to do. My parents are the only ones that tell me what to do. I've heard that come out of the lips of some of your children. Now listen to me. It shouldn't be that way. Man, I don't care right, wrong, or indifferent. Authority is authority. An adult's an adult. Now again, that's... that's that's not really the whole issue, but we're being raised to believe somehow that we have a right to say no to authority. That we don't need anyone to ordain us, so to speak, or to put their stamp of approval on us. I don't answer to anybody but God. Nobody matters. That's kind of the mentality, it seems. So what do we do? We find people in the ministry sometimes. What church are you out of? Well, I just started a Bible study in my home, and then we just turned into a church. What? Wait a second. No man is bigger than the church. The church has the authority to evangelize the world. God gave the church the responsibility to evangelize, not a given person. The authority comes from the church. See, in our ministry, we, we think of men like uh, Brother White, Steve White, down in, in, in uh, West Virginia. Brother Steve White attended Community Baptist Temple. Brother Steve White felt the call of the ministry. And Community Baptist Temple said, man, we believe God's all over his life. We believe God's in that, his hand is in that ministry. We want God to bless him. We agree with God. So God called, we confirmed, and he consented. And down to West Virginia he went. He's got a church back there in the holler. Been at it for years. Matter of fact, we've helped him recently. I haven't gotten word back on him. I think the weather might have affected his 
building project. We'll see where it's going. But we sent some money down there, about eight or $9,000 this year, to help him with that project. And we'll get word back, I'm sure, here as spring comes around. But the fact is, is that he left Community Baptist Temple. By what authority? God? God called me preacher. I'm leaving. Well, if he just come to me and said that, and I say, well, brother, listen, I, I think we need to pray about it. I don't need to pray about nothing. God called me. I don't care what the church says. I'm going. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, he don't have the authority to do that. He needs the church. Because the church was given the authority, not him. And we confirmed it because we believed God was all over him. Out the door he went. Sorry, church, still pastoring. Brother Dave Herman. Brother Dave Herman, a number of years ago, decided he wanted to go pastor a church. He wanted to start a ministry. Brother Dave Herman, we ordained Brother Dave to the ministry here for a specific purpose. He went to a specific place to pastor a church there in Brimfield. There he is, in Brimfield, pastoring a church. Praise the Lord for that. But where did the authority come for him to pastor that church? Not himself. Not, well, God told me to go. That's fine. God told you, but he should have let us in on it too because it's the church's job to evangelize the world and therefore we agree or we don't. You say, well, nobody has a right to tell anybody that they can't serve God. Well, let me tell you something. Have you seen some of the television preachers out in the world lately? Have you seen how it's turned out for them and the people that they serve? Have you seen what happens when people go half-cocked and do what they think God's told them without the authority or without the oversight of a ministry that's already established? Folks, let me tell you something. We need to be very careful. It's not right for someone just to say, I'm going to do this. I don't care what a preacher says. I don't care if I, I don't need a church. I'll start my own church. I don't agree with churches. I had a young man call me not long ago, and I was concerned about him. He wanted to talk to me about a particular issue. Very smart young man. I think he's got a lot of potential. I hope he's listening today. But the fact is, is that he could do something great for God. But I'm very concerned because I'm afraid that maybe he stayed away from churches because he feels he's the only one that has the doctrine straight. Well, what's he going to end up doing? If he really believes that the, the Word of God, he's going to have to feel compelled to start a church. What's he going to do? He's going to have a Bible study in his home. And two or three are going to go, you know what? You're really smart. You really know the Bible. You ought to start a church. We ought to just become a church. Wait a second. That's not how God intended it to work. He intended him to be part of the local church, just like Saul was, just like Barnabas was, just like the men in Jerusalem were. And they're to go out from that church with the authority of that church, with the, the, the authority of that church, but not just that, but with the endorsement of that church. And whether it's a pastor, and let me say this, whether it's a singing group, You'll notice we don't have a lot of singing groups in. You want to know why? Because most of them aren't local church-based. We believe in local church because the Bible teaches it. If a group is not ground out of a local church, sent out by a church, God says, man, your ministry could really be a blessing to people. And the church says, man, you would be a tremendous blessing to people. And we are behind it 100%. We feel God can use you. You say, but there's people, they'd never let groups go. They'd never let people like that that are that talented leave their church. Well, then they better pray that God sends them to a good church or God sends, sends a new pastor into the pulpit or that somehow somebody gets a hold of those people and gets them right. But the church has the authority to send, not an individual, because an individual wasn't given the Great Commission. The church was. And so we go forward serving the Lord. I don't know about you, but that song I just heard a little bit ago, I think there'd be a number of churches that would be pretty encouraged by singing like that. 
They're welcome to go on Saturday night. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I don't think we've got to worry about that too much. That's one song right now. But we'll see. If they get a repertoire of ten, we might be in trouble. But nonetheless, now, we see all of these things taking place and this thing's happening. The authority of the local church. It's so important. It's so important. And, and let me just skim through these. I was going to spend some time. But I'm not going to spend time at all. I'm just going to give them to you real fast. What does, what does this authority uh, produce in the life of the, the servant that's going and even the ministry that they're serving in? Number one, it provides stability. It provides stability. God's very practical. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that he's a God of order. He said, let all things be done decently in order. God wants things done in orderly fashion. And it provides stability in their life. We noticed Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, when he gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, some, uh, those kind of things for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying the body, all of those things. Then, you know what? The church brings stability to our life. It's important that we're here. We need God's house. No man, no woman is an island. To function and operate on our own is to be, first of all, deprived of the wonderful blessing of fellowship that God intends for us. But number two, if I can say this as kindly as I can, it almost reeks of arrogance to think that I don't need anybody or any, anything but me and God. When God said, I died for that thing called the church, that's how important it was to me. And if I tell you you need it, then whether you think you don't or not, you do. That's the problem. If, if the Bible says that it's for the perfecting of the saints that he gave pastors and teachers, then let me ask you, without them, how are you to be perfected? Well, I'm mature enough. Well, God's standard obviously must be different than yours because he says you need it for to reach maturity, perfection. So all I'm saying is it reeks almost of arrogance to say I don't need a church. Someone says, I don't agree with organized religion. They're all about money. They're all about self. They're all about building empires. Well, not all. Don't you like people that always use the word all? Or everybody. You know, preacher, everybody's saying that. Well, who? Well, I don't really want to say. Uh, I don't want to break their... Ch- well, obviously not everybody. Everybody in class is upset about... Really? Who? Well, I talked to a couple people. Wait, couple's different than everybody. You get where I'm going? Everybody. No, that, that, that don't get it. That don't get it. I mean, listen, stability. We need stability. Now listen, Accountability. Everybody needs some accountability, especially when you're heading out in the ministry. Let me tell you something. You need accountability. It's helpful to you. I was ordained uh, to, to come here to start Community Baptist Temple. I left out of a church. That's how Community Baptist Temple started. I didn't just decide one day, I'm going to pastor a church and let's go. No, I went to my pastor and went to the people. And I said, I think God's called me to, to pastor a church, to start a ministry. And they said, brother, about time. They weren't ready to get rid of me. But anyway, about time. No, they said, we knew that. That's without a doubt. We know God's in that. I was like, praise the Lord. So then, off I went with the authority of that local church. I got ordained. They said to me, when I got ordained, what will you do if we say, you know, he says, what will you do if we won't ordain you today? Because I said, you feel you called to preach and all that stuff, you know, called to ministry. What will you do if we don't ordain you today? I said, well then, I'll I'll plan on reading about one of your name. I'll, I'll plan on reading one of your names in an obituary soon. 
until God puts the right people in place, and I will be ordained because I know what God wants. And ain't nobody going to stand between what God wants for my life. They're like, well, <laughs> never heard that answer before. I said, it's a biblical answer. Listen, I don't have a right to go against the church. The church has the authority. I don't. That pastor and people would have said, we don't want you to leave. You're not leaving. We don't feel you're prepared. We don't feel you're ready. I wouldn't have gone. And if I really was convinced it was of God, then I wouldn't get all bent out of shape. I'd just pray, God, you know what needs to happen for me to go. If it requires you to remove somebody from the, the, the panel, keep somebody coming out of the group, whatever it takes, that's your business. It's on you, Lord, because I know what you want. In your time, it'll take place. Somebody says, well, I can't believe you'd be that patient. Well, it's just that I believe God's big enough to do things that most people don't. And maybe, can I say it this way without sounding haughty? Maybe that's one of the reasons why I was ready, because I saw God was the authority and not me. And I saw His church had authority, just like He said in the Word of God, not me. You know what this does, this accountability? It keeps every wannabe that isn't really ready out of the ministry. You ever met people that think they're really all that and they're not? Do you know there are people that think God's really all over their life and all you see is indiscretion? All you see is, um, uh, you, you know, their testimony is uh, compromised. And, and, you say, and they say, I just know God wants me to go out and pastor a church or start a church. And, and you say, brother, listen, there's a few areas I think you need to work on. So I don't care what you say. God's called me. I'm going. They leave without the authority of the local church. What good did that do them in the long run? And let me ask you this. What good will that do their people one day, five years from now, when they fall? Because they never settled a spiritual issue in their life that should have been addressed. You think the devil's just going to let fix everything and make it all right just because they decided to go in spite of the authority of the church? Man, I want to do things God's way. I want God's presence and power in my life. I want God to have preeminence, as he says over here in the Bible. Someone says, well, this is old school. This isn't how the new stuff works. The problem is the Bible hasn't changed. And last, humility. Humility. That, it brings humility, this authority does. Listen, when I, left community, when I left the church that I did to start Community Baptist Temple, I realized there would be a pastor watching over my shoulder. There would be a people that were concerned about the ministry. I realized that I had to submit in that sense. Now, we ultimately became indigenous. Indigenous means self-governing, self-supporting, and that's what God intends. He doesn't want a hierarchy. It's not supposed to be the church at Jerusalem runs everything. That's not how it works. But ultimately, as they send people out, they go with authority. They establish ministry. Leaders go into place. That church becomes independent, self-sufficient, self-governing. And then they do the same thing. Listen, I don't tell Brother Herman how to run his church. I don't tell Brother Daniel up in uh, Lakeside or wherever it is how to, how to run his church. I, I don't tell Brother White how to run his church. I'm not going to tell Brother Sam Sievert how to run his ministry ultimately once he establishes churches and he's put pastors in place. I'll deal with him, but he, the church will be its own authority. Because that's God's plan. But in that conception stage, in that construction stage, there's always that accountability there to help maintain this sense of, of I guess, I don't know what you call it. I, I, I don't know how to say it other than accountability. Just knowing. Just knowing that someone's there. It's important. And so God established the church with authority. Every ministry, every minister 
is to go forth from the local church because it was a church that was given the authority to evangelize and the plan and the mission, not an individual. And it's just that simple. It's that simple. The question I have for you as we close now is this. God calls people to ministry. But before they're ever called to ministry, they're called to salvation. Have you settled your salvation? The same Jesus Christ that was concerned about the world in evangelizing it is concerned about your soul today. See, he sees the whole, but he also loves the individual. And I wonder today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? Why would you waste time today worrying about something you could settle this morning? Just get it settled. Just say, you know what? I'm sick of wondering. I'm tired of thinking about it. I just want to nail it down. I want to know from the Word of God whether or not I'm on my way to heaven and that He's my Lord and Savior. Simple, done. You can settle that today. I trust you will before you leave. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. We need you, Lord. Thank you for the authority of the local church. I know, Lord, I don't regret doing things biblically in our ministry. I, I, I didn't have a problem going out that way. I, 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 Father, appreciate the fact that there was a preacher until just recently that when he passed away, Lord, he was always concerned about this ministry. He was always concerned about me. He always showed me consideration and love, and I appreciated that. That meant a lot to me. And I just pray, dear God, that you would just uh, help us to understand as a people how important the authority of the church is. And as we send Brother Sam Sievert out here soon and ordain him, what a tremendous responsibility it is for us we're saying that we agree with you that you've called him, that he's the kind of man of character and quality that, Father, you would have in the ministry. Lord, that's a preacher and a people that, that, that consent to this. Help us, Lord, not to take that lightly as we prepare to send him out. I believe he's a man of God, and I believe you're going to use him. But, Lord, it's not something we take lightly around here. Help us, we pray. Now, Lord, bless the service, and, Lord, be with us today in this invitation time. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Again, the music's playing, but... Do you know for sure heaven's your home? You got it settled? Come on. We're not going to waste a lot of time. We're not going to spend a lot of time today. But we do want to take time and use it wisely. If you don't know for sure heaven's your home, the wisest thing you could do with your time is to settle your eternal salvation.